War Room Hockey Podcast. We are back another week for everybody. Um, another week, indeed. This week we mentioned at the end of last week. This week would be we'd have some fun, um, hot takes, some passion, um, passion that seems to be lacking in a lot of areas of hockey right now. So, um, and so we'll Wasn't touch on some at the end of the World Juniors. Well, that was a six to two shellacking by the U.S. in Sweden against Sweden. And so those are Swedish teenagers who got embarrassed in front of their home crowd. So I'd be a little fired up as well. So, yeah. And you know what? I got, a, I got two major, we covered a lot of the world junior last year, or last year, last week. <clears throat> and again, you know, no, no, just jaw dropping standout talent in this pool this year, but uh, a lot of real good solid players and guys who are going to have a lot of guys who are going to have great careers. But uh, two things stand out to me when it's over. First of all, uh, props to uh, David Carl. Great guy, great story, uh, what he's been through and where he's been. And, and uh, just, a, just a real feel-good story about a great guy. Uh, and secondly, I, don't, I have never seen, well, in the last 25, 30 years, I've not seen the IHF allow players to play the way they did this year. And I don't know if that's a new, uh, you know, a new situation in the, uh, in the background of the IHF, letting the guys play and stop calling the little ticky tack penalties. But there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of hits some high sticks and, you know, some good passionate shenanigans going on out there that they let go. And I was happy with that. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, the world junior, we touched, I touched on it last week, the world junior, this year is what I think it should be and um, call it a hot take, call it whatever. And that is um, your, and, and organizations like Chicago wouldn't allow guys like Bedard to do it. Um, But for the sake of making the argument, we don't need roster NHL roster kids who are still of, of, of the appropriate age to go play world junior. They're already there. They're an, they're a rostered NHL player. They're already there. World junior to me is a showcase. Yeah. You represent your country and yeah, you compete for a gold medal, but really it's a showcase. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a showcase for, for, for players who are, are drafted to show their, their organizations that, Hey, give me a year to allow me to bulk up and do whatever. And this is what I can do for you. Right. And it's a showcase for the players who have yet to be drafted. Um, like, um, the, the young kid for the U S um, uh, Bayum, I think is how right. you say his last name, the defenseman for, for DU, Bayum. um, to show that, you know, I can be a, a, a top two round draft pick yeah. like here, like, look at me it's it's that type of showcase um and for years and years through its history it's been a place for your john Tavares and jordan eberle's and your different people like that and that's fine but it's it's a it's a showcase that's it and to me that's what it should be and this year for none of the countries did anybody stand out as a guy who was already an nhl player coming in going i'm the star everybody was kind of on an even playing field to show what they can do. And that's, that made for good hockey. 
and I would argue, I would argue more so than any speculation on potential double IHF rule changes, that that was a big factor into the style of play this year was that none of them were already superstars. They're out there basically level, level ground competing, competing against people that are neck and neck with them for, for what they're trying to do. Well, we, we talked, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and when we talk about no, no standouts in this group, in this field of players, remember that we've already subtracted uh, Fantilli, Carlson and Bedard who are obviously world-class players already and they weren't there. So they're, they're already in the show. They're already proving themselves uh, as a side note, Bedard put on uh Put on injured reserve by the Blackhawks. We're so, we're going to get to that. That's one of the one of the things I'm, I'm going to discuss here this week. Okay. But uh, was the hit on Bedard. But um, anyways, I I didn't watch a whole lot with work and with everything going on. But the the World Junior from clips I saw and everything, the World Junior was a a good tournament all around. And um, sure the, the U.S. was the most dominant. Obviously, they ended up with the gold, but it really could have, because of the lack of superstar power, it could have fallen any which way. So, yeah. and that's and that's what like Czechia could have been there for yeah, crying out loud. Absolutely. Like, you know, absolutely. so um, Germany played well. Mm-hmm. They struggled, but they played well. Um, Switzerland, Switzerland always plays tough and it allows for that parody where I genuinely felt this year that, that it wasn't a cut and dry U S Canada, Russia, Finland, Sweden. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. Gold medal, the gold medal, the gold medal game could have easily been Czechia and Finland and you wouldn't have been surprised. No. Good point. And and if there is a bright spot, you know, I don't want to get into the argument of whether or not the Russians should have a team there. Uh, there's two very clear cut opinions on that, and, and there's no need to beat, a, beat that idea up. But if there's a bright spot to not having the Russians there, uh, as competitive as they are, it's that another team now is not facing relegation that normally does, be it Germany or Slovakia or yeah, don't you normally get two if Russia's there? Don't two teams get is or is it always just one? Because there was there was a relegation game between Germany and um, Austria. That would have been Germany and um, Norway. Norway, sorry, Norway. Yeah, yeah. and Nor- Norway was relegated, so Germany won. Um, so they still had relegation. That's what makes me off of your point think wonder if when Russia's there, if they normally have two. Well, Russia or, takes a spot that that would normally there wouldn't be any there wouldn't be any questions about relegation because the top five teams and true. Then, okay, that, that makes sense. If Russia top was five, you throw in Chechia and you throw in Slovakia, that's seven. And then you've got Germany and Latvia and and Norway and and uh, Switzerland and all of them playing for that last spot. So there's a right. So if Russia's there, then there wouldn't be a need for a relegation game because the last seed would just be right. would just be relegated. Okay, yeah, and that makes more sense. Okay. Um, anyway, oh. world world junior over, good tournament. Um, yeah, I hope everybody got to see some of that. It was good. There was one, a number of number of Pentecton V's that were in the tournament as well. <laughs> um, 
so they played well. Um, yep. Good tournament all around. Look forward to next year's. Um, always, always. Any any uh, thoughts or takes you want to start with um, before we jump into anything else? Well, I don't know what all you've got on your hit list, but um, the the cap going up as it affects a guy like Willie Nylander, uh and a couple of other signings that are coming up around the show. Um, yeah, that's that's the that's the big thing between now and the deadline. Uh, lots of parity in uh, in all four divisions. Uh, some you're starting to see some wear and tear injuries happen around the league now, and so I guess we've got uh, got plenty to uh, catch up on. Yep. Um, I'll start with the Connor Bedard hit. Um, and it kind of goes with one of the things that I have, and you and I agree. So it wouldn't really necessarily be a hot take, uh, since especially since you and I agree, but the instigator needs to go away. Oh man, does it ever. Um, part of the problem that you have today which makes it dangerous and a safety concern is the instigator back in the day, back in the day, it, well, it's a physical sport. So this idea and that every, every time any hit is thrown, it's time to drop the gloves type of thing. I don't, I don't buy that, that I think that's overplayed. Um, There's a difference between that and showing the necessary passion for your team and for your play. Um, it's a physical sport. Hits are going to happen. St- you're stop acting like a, a tantrum child. Whenever a hit is thrown that now I've got to do something about it. It's hockey. Welcome. Welcome to it. What I'm, what I mean by that is back in the day, nobody's off limits, but back in the day, you, you, you'd go out there and you'd lay a hit on somebody at your own risk. Right. Because you touch Wayne Gretzky. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You, you go out and you touch, um, Kaprizov. What do you think Ryan Reeves is going to do? Right. Right. And that's not, that's not there anymore. And no, so, it's and it's and created. It be, I mean, these are these are. For, so here's the here's the the. I guess the diverse opinions. This is our franchise guy. Doesn't matter if it's Bedard or or Matthews or McDavid or whoever it is, McKinnon. <clears throat> this is our franchise. If you run him, clean or dirty. If you run our guy, um, you're going to pay a price. Mm-hmm. And. So this is how we protect ourselves. This is how we police our roster. Nobody takes liberties with my guy. Uh, on the other hand, there's the perfectly legitimate argument that you got to keep your head up. If you get hit by a clean hit, then what are you doing? Where's your Where's your vision? So, yes, well, that, now that that's my argument with it is some of these hits are on the person who gets hit for not exactly. So like turn your back yeah. against when they go face the boards. So and that's, that's part of my point is, is we, as a result of, of the way the game is gone, even we as fans find ourselves getting real heated when M- McKinnon takes a hit or when right. Bedard gets hit or when these things happen and you have, but you have to look at it through the lens of it's a physical game. So but also through the lens that 
that might be dirty, but it, but you still hold responsibility yourself. Well, here's what, here's right. What we'll so Ross Colton hits Luke Hughes a few, how many weeks ago before Christmas when the abs are playing the devils on the four check, that was the game that he then high sticked Timo Meyer came up and high stick right. Timo Meyer and everybody's, Oh, that's a dirty hit. That's a dirty hit. Well, first of all, if you watch it, it's shoulder on shoulder, but second of all, Luke Hughes needs to be aware that he's got he's got a full tilt Ross Colton coming in on the four check. A yeah. guy who, since he came in the league, has been known for his hard nose play. And you go stiff legged, and you you start reaching for the puck in the corner as he's coming in hard on the four check. What do you think is going to happen? Right. Right. So it's that type of awareness. Absolutely, there needs to be awareness on both sides that. Okay, maybe that's a hit or a play I don't do because that's dangerous. But you, on the other hand, have to have the awareness to go, "Mm, I'm not going to turn my back here because I'm going to get plastered. I'm going to get painted into the boards. So here's what happens inside the room where nobody's nobody's allowed with cameras and microphones. Nick Foligno, ironically, now is on injured reserve with a broken finger after fighting Brendan Smith for hitting Connor Bedard. So Chicago got the double whammy there, but you, I'm going to stick up for my kid. He's 18. He's our franchise. He's our future. And I'm going to stick up for him. Yeah. It was a clean hit. Brendan Smith is a very honest player and Bedard got caught with his head down, but I'm going to, but, but Smith took the fight. He honored the situation uh, the way he should. He took the fight with Felino, who's a tough customer, and they settled it. But inside the room, they're going to say, hey, kid, you, you got to keep your head up. These are men. These are yep. violent, skilled, fast, large men. You got to put your head up. You know better than that. I'll yep. fight and stick up for you, but get your, get your act together. Well, that's, that's kind of what I mean with the disparity with all these rule changes and all these things and taking hitting out of youth hockey till whatever is it breeds a a situation where Bedard think comes in and thinks whether, whether it's intentional, whether it's naive or malicious, he thinks he's untouchable and, and, and not just that he thinks he'd one, it's a mixture of, of an attitude of I'm untouchable, but also an attitude of just it's his first season. He hasn't learned yet. Right. So you, you combine the two, those two factors and you get a kid like Bedard coming in dipsy doodling across the blue line in the middle, in the, in the middle of the ice. These are grown yeah. men. You're 18. Brennan Smith is 34. Like these are grown men. Like the you, you got to learn the good players. As you know, the good players will be playing a year up. They they'll be playing against the best players at Adam and Pee Wee and Bantam and Midget, they'll be playing as the youngest available, youngest eligible at that age. They're going to, always going to be playing against bigger kids. So if you if you ring up this kid when he's 13 or 14, maybe he doesn't get a broken jaw when he's 18 in the National Hockey League. Maybe he knows better. I don't know. I, I didn't see these kids like Connor Bedard have been at the very top of their game, the, uh-huh. the, the best kid in the province for their entire lives. I don't know if he's ever been hit before, yep. but he is now. So, yep. it, you know, it happened with McDavid when he got run into the boards by the kid from Prince George. 
uh, Manning, and it happened to Pat Kane yeah, early in his career. He broke collarbone in Chicago. But with these guys, it doesn't happen often. You you get tattooed once, and then you don't make that mistake again. So does it take a little bit of the uh, does it take a little bit of the spunk out of your game? Of course it does. But that's what you got to do to survive. You so more, go back you, with it. Stop making rules. Mm -hmm. Let the boys police themselves. Let the playground handle itself. They will take care of it. Get rid of the instigator. Get rid of all the nonsense and stop and go back and let them hit and fight. Go starting in Pee Wee, and we will have less problems, not more. Do you, if you're a scout, do you, do you advocate for these up and coming kids then to go the Matthews route and play grown men in Europe? Matthews Matthews better understood the physical game better when he came to the NHL because he played two, what, how many years? A year or two? In one or, year in... Uh, a, or so, a season or two in Austria, in Austria or wherever. Okay. And the quality of play may not be at the NHL level, but the physicality is still there because you're playing grown men. So you still understand, you still understand that difference and it's benefited Matthews since he, since he started. So it has, and there, there's, there's there that to consider as well. That's right. And as you know, there are legitimate routes to go. There's a lot of different options. There's major junior, there's junior a, there's college, there's, the Swedish elite league or wherever else in Europe that you might be able to catch on and, and get a year or two under your belt. There are a lot of ways that a kid can mature from 17 to being ready to play in the show. Uh, there's no necessarily right or wrong. It is a major disadvantage though, to bring a kid in. And I'm not saying this about Connor Bedard at all, because he is completely, uh, he's completely legitimate. Uh, it is, it's a great disadvantage to bring a kid in who has not been knocked around. If, he, if he's been playing someplace where he has not gotten clean or dirty uh, the crap picked out of him or learned how to take a hit and give a hit, that's a major disadvantage. And they're starting to legislate that in. They're not just allowing it. They're mandating it. It's, it's dumb. And the more rules they make, the more difficult it becomes to have a legitimate game. Yep. It, it's tiresome. Anyway. Agreed. Next. Um... Let's let's look at this. Um, shootout needs to go away. <laughs> in what in what respect? Just I, I the from the, a credibility perspective, it, it needs. I I'm not a fan of the shootout in in deciding games. No, shootouts are shootouts are fun at the end of practice if you want to you know, play a game where, you know, a five puck shootout on two blue lines and the loser does, you know, does laps type of thing. Like it, that's fine. Shootouts to decide a professional hockey game to me. I mean, no, I, I'm, I prefer a two point to win zero point loss. And if you, if you tie in a, in overtime, each team gets one point and that's it. Like, and, and if you really, really want the game to be decided without ties, fine, go into another overtime, you know, make the first overtime 10 minutes, the second one, five minutes, and you do it that way until you decide it, but the shootout needs to go away. Right. I get it. It's exciting for, for kids and for, you know, this and that and everything and everything. And you get to see different fancy moves and, 
you know, Kuznetsov with with his ridiculous turtle race thing that he does and whatever else. But <laughs> but it, it it's not it's not to me it's not a credible way to decide a competitive regular season game where where points for the standings are on the line. Points for the standings are on the line, and you're competing for the playoffs and you're making millions of dollars. To me, that's, it's a, it clearly it works and I'm not the business guy behind it. And clearly it, it does, it works, but I, I'm not a fan of it. And if I were, if I were in charge of making changes, that would be one of the things to go. Well, I, I agree. I'd like to see the games maybe go with a 10 minute three on three instead of five. Uh, that would probably solve 90 some percent of the ties or the, the shootouts. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of legitimate games being settled in the shootout. And that's why they don't do it in, uh, in the playoffs. It's why they, you know, they, you just go overtime, constant overtime. Now you can't do that all regular season, but at the same time, there's gotta be maybe a more credible way to settle uh, a, a basically life and death game of you know a couple of those a year and you may that may be the difference between making the playoffs and not yep i I make it two overtimes and at the end of the second if you're still tied now you finish in a tie right give them the give them the best credible way to finish it and then at the at the end of that you just you tie you both get a point and there you go yeah but the loser point we've talked about this for years the loser point is um is a mess that just I, i don't like the loser point never have uh and never will so that's part of it though they get it's i don't know i don't want to get started on the cultural part of it i don't like the loser point period agreed agreed um well i've thrown out a few any any that you can throw out um that you have on on the top of your head the i'm i'm interested in the cap situation and i believe if i if my Got my facts right. It's they're projected to go up about four million this year. That's what I read. Yep, from eighty-one to eighty-five-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. I know that's all subject to change as the as the hockey revenue numbers get ironed out uh, at the end of the year. But I believe that's what we're looking at is is going to about a four million dollar increase. So yep. in a case like Willie Nylander, who is as as he should, he's probably going to make eleven, eleven and a half times long term uh that's that means that when you dump tj brody at the end of the year and uh, then with the extra money brody's five million and the extra four from the cap you can fit willie in and keep it and then you've got one year before Tavares's 11 million comes off the payroll and goes down to a more reasonable number for a guy his age and and everybody can stay together and everybody's happy in in the big smoke but that's and every team in the league is going to face that kind of thing because all kinds of players, you know, and you mentioned Duchesne quite often, same thing. These guys are all playing for contracts, waiting for the cap to go up. And isn't it coincidental how many guys have career years in their contract season? Mm-hmm. It's funny how that works. Um, but that's but that is what's happening. You saw it in the offseason, Orloff signing two years in Carolina. Um, to wait out the, the remaining flat cap until it goes up and he can get a payday from somewhere. Um, yeah. you, you're, you're seeing a number of those. Um, Matthew, oh. Matthew Shane in Dallas right. bought, bought out in Nashville. 
in Dallas. Now he's at the age though, where, where the number he gets on next contracts aren't going to be to the level that maybe people think, or he wants just because of his age. Um, But he is due more of a payday after his buyout than what he's currently getting um, in Dallas. And that will change whether it's in Dallas or somewhere else. Yeah. Once the cap goes up. I, I agree. Here's, here's the, here's the buyer beware warning for NHL GMs and, and uh, personnel people all around be careful signing a guy who just had a career year. I mean, if you've got a, if you've got a 55 point guy that all of a sudden puts up 80 or 85, don't rush out and sign him to a monster hit times seven or seven years or so. Show me a, like, stop me when this sounds familiar, Evan, show me a body of work, but don't come out and have a career year because you're up, your contract is up. And if you sign that guy and have a white elephant on your hands three or four years later, shame on you. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Yep. They just get so, they, they just, you can see it. People start salivating over this kid. Oh, he's had a breakout year. Well, yeah, call it a breakout year if it keeps going. But if it, if it doesn't keep going, then it was a one-off. It was, a, you know, it was an anomaly. And, and you're just, and you're going to be paying for six years for that. Statistics are important, but we seem to get caught up in surface level results. Yeah. So like, so a team goes through a a stretch of inconsistency and we immediately jump on the goaltender and we, we, we fail to look deeper at maybe the piss poor defensive play in front of him or, you know, anything like that. And because at the end of the day, the most, the, the best, the goat of goaltenders, the best goaltender in history, hall of fame or most, whatever he'll let in a snowman. He'll let in eight or nine a game. If the team in front of him is piss poor. Yeah. Like, so to immediately jump on a goaltender to me shows your lack of understanding we 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 look at the surface level results and we don't we don't under look and understand the statistics and the and the deeper level details to to really see okay this guy had scored 25 goals and he had this and that but he also played with steven stamkos he also he also played with Sidney crosby he also played with you know this and that i love val nachushkin but you put val nachushkin anywhere anywhere but Colorado right now is he producing to the same level I mean there's no way to really know that until you see it happen but it's an argument to be it's a question to be asked and an argument to be had because we we can't just look at wow another season where Val's putting up 20 plus goals oh my gosh and and then you know coaching change or a new team and now he puts in five goals and he can't get out of his own way. What's going on? Well, you know, look at the whole picture, you know, look at the ins and outs of things. Look at who he played with. Look at, you know, how he fits. Look at style of play. Look at all these things to just simply base it on numbers or on, on that kind of stuff to me is naive and it's ignorant. Well, look here, here again, and if you if we've got longtime listeners out there, this is the recurring theme on War Room. Look at the shot chart. 
Mm-hmm. And you want to get a goaltender and you can't figure out why your team's not winning or why the goaltender's having such a bad season. Look at the shot chart. Yeah, he may have only had 24 shots and allowed four goals last night, but look where the shots were from. Yep. If he's allowing shots from, from outside the circles, outside the hash marks, then you got a goaltending problem or you've got a severe recurring screen problem or tips. But if he's allowing goals from inside the hash marks, from inside the, the house, as a lot of people call it, then that's not a goaltending issue. you got a system problem. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, so you got to look at these things differently. You got to look at them right. And you can't just, you can't just look at, I, I love hearing this. Your team lost six to nothing last night. Our goaltending sucks. Yep. You didn't score any goals. Goaltending is not your problem. Would yep. you, would you like it better if you lost one to nothing? Yep. Stop it. Like yep. you're, that's just dumb. I've been, yep. I get I get that all the time I, from people. I get it all the time. Oh, you know, oh, goaltending's not great. Goaltending's not great. Well, okay, but you lost six to two. You didn't really put the offense forward either. And oh, by the way, if you look at the if you look at the the game sheet afterwards, how many giveaways in, in, on your side of the blue line did you have? Right, like you know what I mean. Like you're you're not really giving your Alexander Georgiev, who by the way has the most wins out of any goaltender in the NHL. Just saying, you're not giving him the best chance to win. No. So to to then immediately jump on on him or any other goaltender and go, oh my gosh, did you see he allowed five goals? Oh, what are we gonna do? That's a big. That's something that's got to be addressed. No, I I I'd, I'd argue you have to address your offensive production and your play and your defense in your own end. Bef- once you address that, if if your goaltender is still allowing a touchdown then maybe you start to, you know, huh, all right, I guess goaltending something we've got to change. Right. But it, but otherwise, you know, look at the bigger picture and people don't do it. And it, it's, it's frustrating. And it is frustrating. it's, and it's the same, it's the same way even the league itself operates and how they give out the awards. Are you giving out the Norris trophy for the best defenseman? Or are you giving out the Norris trophy for the defenseman who had the most points? You know what I mean? You're just blindly following the, the most offensive points. You're not looking at blocked shots, plus minus time on ice, any, you know, anything like that time on the penalty kill. What contributions did you, you know, none of that. You're just, Oh, there's no, Eric Carlson had 85 points and that's more than any other defenseman Norris trophy. Connor McDavid had a hundred and, 25 points more than any other forward Edmonton didn't make the playoffs. They didn't do this. They didn't do that heart trophy. Like they just blindly follow these and they don't look at the nuance levels of, of the ins and outs of the different metrics for how to, how to to judge things. And it's, it's frustrating. And now you have, you have scouts and you have youth youth coaches at youth organizations and you have all this stuff basing who makes their team and who does this and that based on these superficial shallow level of things and rather than looking at the nuance of you know he's a he's a i'd he'd fit really really well on the b team but it would do him wonders to play up with the a team and really see what he can do are there are any youth coaches doing that no no no, they're taking all their recruitment levels of all these all-star kids that come into Littleton hockey or anywhere else. And all right, 
double A team, A team from squirt on up. And it's like, what do you, you're not really challenging yourself. You're not really doing anything. We need to, we need to, we need to look at it differently. Multiple call multiple players, the goat by definition, there's only one greatest of all time is one. And to be the greatest, you have to be Wayne Gretzky until somebody passes him. Right. You can be the, you can be the current, you can be the current active best player, but even that is statistically driven. And if you're really going off of that, factually, that is Sidney Crosby. From an all-around point production, that's Sidney Crosby. No disrespect to Connor McDavid, that's Sidney Crosby. Until McDavid has has more production and more this and that than Sidney Crosby in the all-time list, it's Sidney Crosby. Like these types of things, but we don't do that. We just look at the surface level, and it it. I could, I, I'll rant forever. So I'm done, but yeah, well, once you, once you've seen a few examples of that, you stop paying attention. I I don't care about the all-star voting. I don't care about the, the voting for, for um, trophies in the postseason. I don't, I don't care about any of that. There's one metric that counts and it's winning and it takes all kinds of different contributions to win. And you can have a guy on an 18 game scoring drought or a two year scoring drought in some cases. And it doesn't matter because he's contributing in every possible way, except putting goals in the net. So let, you know, find other guys to do that. This guy, this guy contributes in every way in every zone. So, I'm not concerned with his stats. I don't care if he's plus or minus. He's got matchups that I can't change anywhere else. I can't fix that without it. So well, the league, the league has officially lost a viewer for All Star Weekend, and they have yeah. with me. They have with me for for years now. For and years, it, yeah. and and the reason is because the All Star Game has no credibility anymore. No, it's and, a show, and, and hasn't had one un, since they started allowing. A representative from every team right the chicago blackhawks are the basement of the nhl along with san jose and um maybe columbus and ottawa and yet and yet those four teams have representatives at the all-star game all due all due respect it's an all-star game you know so they they from a from a show perspective to draw new viewers and new fans and this and that make have fun with it fine but from a credibility all-star yeah. perspective it's not that I'm and gonna, so i'm going to go out on a limb here and i'm going to say and i mean this as a compliment to the nhl in general the all-star game is a recruiting tool mm-hmm. it's to bring kids in get people excited to get perimeter hockey fans excited about the game it has nothing to do with hockey. The players know it. Everybody knows it. Uh, but it's it's fun. It's kind of, um, you know, it's a novelty item. Uh, it's a little bit like the shootout used to be until it started becoming a, a tool to win and lose games with. It's It's to keep people interested. It's you know, dress up funny and do contests and and have skills competition. That's all wonderful. If you're just recruiting perimeter fans, that's great. But but you know, as far as like trying to actually call it a hockey game, it's not. It's river hockey at the it, it's very at the very best I can say about it is it's river hockey. Yep. 
Yep. Agreed. Um, you, you said the one metric was winning, correct? Yes. I, I agree. And speaking of winning, I saw, I read something as we talk about, as we inch closer to the trade deadline and um, next week um, we'll dive into some trade deadline stuff as we cool. inch, inch closer to it. Um, yeah. But in reading some articles in preparation for that, um, talking about teams like Minnesota and Nashville and, you know, all these fringe teams and rebuilding teams and all this stuff. They actually, um, they actually said that um, the article I read said that teams need to follow the Edmonton Euler model because Edmonton has done, aside from winning the big one, Edmonton has done everything the right, everything correct. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there reading it going, no, they haven't because they have yet to win the big one. They took 31 teams do it. 31 teams do it the wrong way. (laughs) One team has done it the right way because they win. And then 31 other teams go back to the drawing board after the Stanley Cup final and go, Hmm, who do we add? Who do we remove? What do we do? How do we draft? What do we, how do we build to then win the big one the next year and be the one that does it right? Correct. It's as simple as that. You can't say because you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and you've done this and that, that you are the measuring stick for how you build a team minus winning the big one. You haven't won the big one. So, so they took how many other Stanley Cup winners every year, by the way, that do it without Connor McDavid? All of them. They're all of them. They're winning without Connor McDavid. So making Connor McDavid the measuring stick and the Edmonton Edmonton Oilers the measuring stick is just bias ridiculousness. Every eight-year-old in Canada knew who the number one pick was that year. Now, maybe maybe getting the kind of performance that you got out of Dreisaitl, that's a that's a bit of a home run, but they took what four or five first overall picks. They got Nail Yakupov, they got Taylor Hall, who's never really found major footing. He had one great year in New Jersey. They so Yakupov, Hall, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, those are the ones I can think of off my head. And only one of those really showed up. Nugent Hopkins is a third liner most nights, and he's a good one, and he's gonna have a long career. But he was the first overall pick. They drafted Peter Shirelli back in those days. He drafted by picking up the newspaper to see who was leading the OHL in scoring. Yep. There was nothing that went into that draft. And look at the rest of the team. They have struggled. They drafted Darnell Nurse. That's wonderful. They made a good trade for Kane. That that turned out well. But my goodness, they signed Lucic. They, they've done everything wrong that you could possibly do to take four first overall picks in a span of eight years and turn them into a floundering franchise. They've done nothing right. Props to Kenny Holland since he came in. He's made them competitive. If their goaltending is solid, they're going to be tough to play in April and May. But until then, this is a team that's a middling kind of struggling team and they've got all those first overall picks that they've done absolutely nothing with so far. Yep. So I just, I've, I found that article funny. I was just like, yeah. like, who are, you, who are you fooling? 
Like we either, we either have a, now thousand, a generation of people that give credibility to that article because they buy into participation trophies and loser points, yeah. loser points and, you know, equal ice time and all yeah. these soft qualities or, or you're just, and, or it, it could be both. It could be one or the other. You're just showing your pure bias for either Edmonton or Connor McDavid. Cause you're, you're, all you're doing is showing, well, they've got Connor McDavid. Cause that's the only argument you can really make. So they've done it right. Okay. Well, anybody could have done it right. If they were, if they were in the position to draft Connor McDavid at that point. Yeah. So you're not, it's not really a stretch. So seven coaches in eight years. What's the what's the rationale behind that? Is that is that the indication that you're doing everything right? I got a I got a getting a twitch in my forehead. I think I, we need to move on to the next topic. Okay, next one. This one will be quick because you and I both know it's not going to happen. Um, but um, reviews need to stop. Yeah, I know. I it's know. not gonna it's not gonna happen because once you've introduced it, there's no going back. Because people have now gotten used to having all the different camera angles on their TV and having being able to have that access and see this, it's not going to go away no. at all. Never. Um, if any of it does change, all it is all that's going to happen is you're going to see more reviews, right? The only thing that'll ever happen is they just add more. You'll never see them take it away. But in a perfect world, the reviews go away. Yeah, I, you know, but, because here's the deal, and here's here's my take. And, and I'll own this from, from a referee criticism perspective. We, we have, we are now being spoiled with, with these reviews. And now it makes us feel like we can, we can criticize officiating. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself in that boat being a, a vocal critic, critic of officiating lately the reason I, the part of the reason I do it and I'll, I'll own it and take responsibility for it is because I see all the reviews and I see all the angles and I look at it and I go, how do you get that wrong? When look, the puck crossed the line or look, he actually didn't touch the goaltender or whatever else take the reviews away. And now the referees have, have the control. And now we trust the referees and their judgment because we don't see it otherwise. Yeah. And look, the, the reviews are, I, I agree with you. I'd like to not ever see a review done, but the officials like them because instead of being insulted by it or having their abilities called into question, they enjoy it because then the call gets done right. But I would love to make it go away. The reason it can't just yeah. because of the way the world works now, well outside the National Hockey League, you can't everybody's got angles. So everybody's got cameras. Every telecast has seven or eight cameras on, uh, on various parts of the ice and players and bench and everything else. So it's going to get reviewed, whether it gets reviewed by the league and by the officials or yep. whether it gets reviewed by the court of public opinion, it's going to get reviewed constantly. So you might as well have it on the ice as much as it slows the game down, as much as I don't like it. And as much as normally in almost every case, they're going to get offside called correctly without the review. You can review it all you want, but it's going to get overturned like one in 15 or 20 times. So they're getting it right. But if you're going to review, then review more stuff and review it better. But for the time being, 
it's it's one of those things that we don't care for, but you're right in the at the outset, it's not going anywhere. Yep. I I have I understand, a, I understand the reason why it's not. Um there's believe it or not, there is good and bad to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. but but in a perfect world, the review goes away. Let the officials review it on the tablets if they want, but we as viewers don't see it. The only time we as viewers see it is if we see it on the Jumbotron in person in the arena. Otherwise, we don't see it. Just let it be and put it in the control of, of the officials. And yeah. and as a result, as a result, the officials now get more trust and respect from armed armchair critics because, because one because because they they have it, they see it. They review it. It's in their control. Um, Another good thing that the league started doing a few years ago, uh, as you know, to go along with, you know, the NASCAR does it and the NFL does it and everybody seems to do it, is they've got now officials explaining why things happened the way they did, uh, why things did or did not get called and and how the, the rationale works and how the procedure works. So, they're doing a much better job of explaining to the fans who don't understand that stuff, how the calls come to be made or not made. And, and that, that helps a lot too, because now you've got somebody sitting at home going, you know, throwing their arms up in the air and, and now, okay, just shut up and listen to the explanation. (laughs) Then you'll know. And put, you know, if you've got a team sweater on while you're watching the game, you're not going to be convinced otherwise anyway. You're not going to like the explanation and you're not going to buy the explanation. We, and we all do it. I do it with the avalanche, you know, you do it with the Leafs sometimes. Oh, and our favorite goaltender does it with the ducks. You know, we all do it. Um, We're, we're not doing ourselves any favors by sitting here and pretending like we're like, we're the exception in terms of our favorite teams or our, our favorite players or anything like that. So we all do it. Um, But well, it's it's the it's the privilege of being a fan but but also we're fans of the game so when it's all settled when the dust clears we can go back and say the best team wins and yes the bounces didn't always go our way and the calls didn't go our way but the best team wins almost every night so that's just the way it is get some better guys if you don't like it that's not to say there isn't poor decisions made by officials and oh, that's calls that should have been made and weren't. And you wonder why they didn't call it. And, and there, you know, there are issues and moments, but, um, but for the most part, we, we are blissful. We're blissfully um, ignorant to it. If we don't have access on a nightly basis to all those angles on our TV screen. Oh yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not saying that, that, that it, we shouldn't have that access or that it should, or that it will go away, but if, but it, I would argue it should. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden we, we don't have those angles and you, you entertain us during the stoppages in another way. Now all of a sudden it, we're not taking in all those different camera angles. And now we, we don't, show our biases through poor criticism based on what we're seeing because the officials are the ones handling it. I, I agree. I would, I would much rather, I would much rather spend the intermission looking at great plays, a guy with like you mentioned Pavelski 
Look at the tips in front of the net. You know how hard that is to do and look how good he is at it. Let's see that. Let's see a slow motion replay of that. Or I also like those guys in the blow up sumo suits that bounce around during intermission. I would rather do that than to go back and second guess calls or non-calls. That's, that's just something that because of the way we feel about officials, I'd rather not even, I'd rather not ever go there, but that's the way having 30 or 40 different sports channels covering stuff 24 hours a day. That's what happens. Yeah. And as a result, it's not going to go away because we're used yeah. to it now and, and there'd be major revenue loss and backlash if, if it did. So it, you know, possibly but anyway, I, um, I, I want to give, you know what, there's a couple of things that jump out at me as we, as we get right now, almost to the halfway point of the season. Uh, Jim Montgomery in Boston doing a fantastic job with a, a roster that I didn't think would make the playoffs. We've got Mo doing the same thing in Florida. Again, they made a deep run, took a lot of disappointment and they've come back extremely strong. I've got, uh, I've got to say, I would not, I don't want to play the New York Rangers in the spring, the way they look struggling Carolina team, uh, Brenda Moore got, fought them through it and they are now playing extremely well and going to be a, going to be a contender. Good for torts in New Jersey, in uh, Philadelphia. Um, he got healthy again. He got, uh, he got a couple of guys back. I think um, Konechny and uh, Couturier missed all of last season. And now that they're healthy again, he's got them playing real hard every night and in a playoff spot. And out West, look what Rick Bonus has done in, in oh, Winnipeg is yeah. Winnipeg. My gosh. So to me, you, to me Winnipeg Wheeler, you got controversy all over the place and good for, uh, shovel day off and bonus for sticking with that system and sticking with each other. To me, and Winnipeg is the, is more so than the Rangers more so than any other team. They are the, they are the happy surprise. Yeah. Um, they are indeed now, I, now again, again, because of their playoff history and the, and it, and, um, it's what I'm going to about to say about the Rangers. Um, get to the playoffs and show me otherwise type of thing. Um, our, our favorite Rangers fan won't like me saying this, um, but I mean, look at the Tampa Bay lightning 128 points and getting swept by Columbus. You, the Rangers can be playing this well and they have for m several years. They, they seemingly can't get it out of, their, out of their own way in the playoffs and until proven otherwise, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put my all my chips in the New York Ranger Eastern Conference well, basket. I'm just. No, I. Gonna, I can't. It's. It's. It's the same as the Avalanche. It's the same as the Avalanche for Jonathan Quick. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what he does, and why he is. If if the Rangers were to make a deep playoff run or win the Cup, first of all, shouldn't surprise anyone. But secondly, he should be the MVP because. Their their uh, their goaltending has let them down the last couple of seasons, and Quickie has given them an alternative, just like Lauren Brossois in in Winnipeg. True. Now all of a sudden, you know, the Rangers could come into uh, they could come into the you know into April and May and have some tread wear left on their goaltending instead of having them all exhausted. 
True. Is so basically what you're saying is their issues up to this point has been goaltending. Is that your? I, is that your I argument? Absolutely, I believe it. I absolutely. Well, it it makes sense. I mean, I guess it makes sense because it falls into the idea that we're now in. By the way, this season up to this point has been wildly inconsistent for every team in goaltending. By the way, by the way, it's not just one or two teams. Like every team has inconsistency in goaltending. But it, I guess, it points to where we're at in today's game, where more and more you're getting one A and one B rather than a starter and a backup. Yeah, well, that's so. I hear. I heard. um, I was listening to uh, one of the guys on Sportsnet a couple days ago talking about what's wrong with Vasilevsky. What happened to Vasilevsky? Well, what happened to him is he plays a hundred hockey games a year for the last seven or eight years. He's out of gas. And they've had no backup help there at all. As much as I like Elliot and some of the other guys that were, that have been in the net in Tampa, he's, if he doesn't carry the load, it doesn't get carried. So that's what happened to him. And Shesterkin was the same way in New York. And and this year, if Brassois keeps playing well, Hellebuck is going to come into April fresh, and that's a big, heavy, nasty, skilled team, well-coached, and they're going to be tough to handle. They're going to be extremely tough out, but you cannot have an exhausted goaltender. The days of Marty Brodeur playing 75 games a year and in the regular season and then going in and winning you a cup, those days are gone. Forget that. You've got to have somebody that can pick up 30 games and win 18 or 20 of them for you. And we'll get to it next week with our deadline discussion with moves teams can or should or will or won't make and all this stuff. Um, (laughs) But it's a a question, too, um, for a team like Colorado, more so than than being concerned about Georgiev, is Prozvatov a guy that can win you hockey games? enough hockey games to save Georgiev down the stretch. He better be, or they need to pick somebody up. That That's my, that's why I throw the question out there now. That's the type yeah. of, it's the type of thought. Prozvatov has looked good. He's played well, but is he's a, the type of guy who, if Georgiev goes down or if, you know, um, or at any capacity like Kemper did in the playoffs in 2022 and mm-hmm. Frankie came in and won you hockey games. Yep. Can Prozvatov do that and backstop you to a championship? If not, you may need to look to upgrade in that position. It's th- those types of thoughts. Nonetheless, my argument though is n- either way is until you show me otherwise, I'm there to me, they're the favorite in the East New York, mm-hmm. but I'm not sold to put all my eggs in that basket, at least in a, in a, any type of, I wager that the, the Rangers are Stanley are Stanley cup bound. Well, that's uh, why they don't, they don't award the cup to the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah and whoever's got two months of hardcore elbow throwing left in them after 82 games. So 100%. I agree that, with you. That's, and, what, and that's what until, I mean. It's, yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're getting at, and I'm just cautioning the listeners and the fans to to understand what you're saying. Yeah, they're the favorite, but and there's always that but. You've got exactly. to have goaltending. You got to have a little luck. You got to stay healthy. And you know, we say it every season since you guys were little. We're that's the way. That's the way cups are won. 
Well, yeah, because otherwise you're, if you're not careful, you, you fall into a Nashville, Minnesota trap where, where you play okay in the regular season and then you can't get out of your own way. Colorado had it for a n- number of years, especially after their 48 point year and they started to compete where all of a sudden they can't get out of the second round. They can't get past the first round until they finally did. But it, it's, it's one of those, right. It's one of those things where you kind of go, Ooh, I like them. I like them, but then they can't, they can't do it. It's the Leafs in the, in, in the East. Um, I wondered how long it would take you to make that connection. <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rangers, the Rangers, four or five seconds in, longer than I thought. The Rangers bring in Zabenajad and they do this, and they bring in Panarin, and then they add Patrick Kane, and they do all these things, but then they can't get out of the first round, or they, you know, all the all this stuff. Show me you can do it, and I'd I'd much rather I'd much rather be the guy that a lot of people don't like, which is a guy in the aftermath that comes out and goes. See, I had a feeling about the Rangers yeah. and somebody that's then somebody that comes on and goes, you know, to me, they're, they're the odds on here we go. And then, you know, what happens? Yes. So this is why, as we, as we finish up, this is why it is so fun every spring to see. And this year will be no different. There will be 10 or 12 teams league wide that could legitimately win the cup. And nobody should be shocked by it. And of those, let's say it's 12, of those 12 teams, only one of them will end up happy. And only one fan base will see, see, I told you we were the best there is. The other 11 will be going, okay, like to your point earlier, what do we got to do to tweak tweak this roster to get it together next year? We're getting, you know, we're this close to winning. What do we have to do? And that's what makes it fun. Yep. It's because you've got the potential to win. It's no longer a two or three team league. It is no longer the 83 Oilers. Now uh, half the league could win a cup and it wouldn't be a huge surprise. And that's yep. what makes it absolutely fun. Agreed. Um, last thought real quick. Um, we won't, don't need to go into detail about it. Um, mandatory or no mandatory for net guards. That's um that's less for uh, for us and more for the fact that you know it's going to be discussed in the off season by um, managers and owners and and all this stuff um, and the PA and and everybody. Um, well, there's but there's okay. there's an argument to be made both ways for neck guards to to be mandatory or not mandatory. So just a thought. I don't like the mandatory issue. I think it's practical to wear them. I wore I, a I, guard. I, when I didn't wear a helmet, I wore a neck guard. Agreed. So uh, let me let me rephrase. Time. Let me rephrase. Because you and I both agree and called a trauma response over the past few years on the the verbiage of mandates. Yeah. Okay. Um I do think, and and now that I reword it, I think the league will do it. Um, and they will say they will recommend neck guards and then, you know, wear one or don't wear one at your own choice and your own risk. Mm-hmm. I, think I, that's, I think that's the way to do it where every player gets to choose for himself and his family and everybody and everything else, whether or not he wears it. That's what they should have done with helmets. It's what they should have done with visors. You can make the argument that, well, guys, you're crazy if you don't put a visor on. Well, then wear a visor. But if you don't if you don't agree with that, then don't wear one. It should be the player's choice. I would, 
if I was going to mandate anything, if it were my team, and you can do this if it's your team, look at Lou Lamorello's players are not allowed to be unshaven. If you if it's my team, I would say, guys, don't, you know, you're my assets, you're my future, you're all I have, and I care about you. Put a neck guard on. Don't go out there without one. It doesn't change your vision. It doesn't change anything about how you play. It just protects you. On the other hand, in the history of the game, there's been one, and I, I hesitate to say this because, man, it's just horrible, one neck-related death. And, and that's, as awful as that is, there have been hundreds of thousands of games played around the world over the last hundred years, and this is the one. And and it's horrendous. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but to make a mandate over that, I don't think is practical. If I was playing, I'd wear one. If I if you were playing, I'd tell you to wear one. I but to mandate it, I don't think is the right approach. We'll see yep. what they do. Yep. Well, anyway. Uh... Good discussion this week. Next week we will um, we'll deep dive. We'll touch on every team. Um, we'll we'll deep dive into thoughts and um, where teams sits playoff wise. Where you know are they buyers and sellers? Will they stand pat? Will they make a move? What are if they are buyers? What what are their needs? You know all that stuff. And yeah. we'll we'll speculate and and dive into it um, so that come March we're we've got those thoughts out there for, for the potential for some big moves. Um, Definitely. Because there is potential for, for more movement than in years past. Now that the cap is projected to go up. Now teams aren't necessarily hamstrung with the additions they make for a playoff run because they're also now not necessarily stressed about whether they can re-sign the guy or not. So Different, so, thing, different things like that, that. That's a big deal. And I'm glad you brought that up. In advance of the discussion, uh, there are going to be eight or 10 teams that are looking for to shore up backup goaltending, shore up depth defensemen. They hear the same thing every year, uh, bottom six forward, whatever. But now you could actually, it's not as much of a gamble to give a prospect for that backup goaltender or a draft pick for the backup goaltender because I'm going to have enough money that he's not a two month rental. I may, I may be able to resign him for next year. Yep, exactly. So anyway, we're in the hockey podcast, Facebook and Instagram, follow us, engage with us. We appreciate everybody uh, tuning in another week down for everybody. And uh, yeah, another yeah, happy episode. New year. Happy new year. 2024 is underway. Um, World juniors over. Uh, All-star break is coming up. We're in the, um, approaching the second half of the season, um, trade deadline, all that good stuff. So a lot to look forward to. Appreciate yeah. you joining me again for another one. Always a pleasure. Always uh, a pleasure. We'll see if we can get our, uh, our local Ducks fan on next week. He's got, uh, he'll, he'll have some good trade insights for us too. Yep. Uh, so we'll coordinate some guests and some different things like that. And we'll, we'll be here and we'll see everybody next time. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yep. Cheers guys. Cheers everybody.